deep the Father's love. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation 13. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you or you don't have one on your phone or electronic device, there are pew Bibles located in the backs of the chairs, so please feel free to make use of one of those. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you as a gift from Trinity that can be yours. Revelation 13. Now, it's 18 verses, uh, but because Revelation is a book that is revealed often in visions and images, and those images tell a story, we're going to read the entire chapter, and so the message will come from all 18 verses. So follow with me, and as much as possible as we read, remember that the language of Revelation is meant to strike the heart through the imagination. That's why you have these images of beasts, because as we Im imagine them, we see they are terrible and ugly, and it's part of the power of Revelation is to say, because that beast is ugly, you don't want anything to do with it. Flee from it. Seek Christ, who is beautiful and glorious. So let's read this passage, or I'll read it, and you follow along. John writes, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name this calls for wisdom let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666 would you please bow with me in prayer Gracious Lord, we know we are dependent upon your spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds to understand your word. The book of Revelation has certainly reminded us of that regularly. So this morning, Father, we ask for your spirit to work within us and among us. We come confessing that your word is truth. We believe it. But we also come confessing our need for your spirit to help us understand it. And guide us, Father, so that we just don't know it with our minds. But, Lord, so transform our hearts by the power of your word through the Holy Spirit. So that we are changed from glory to glory, showing Jesus Christ in our lives dedicated to him. For it is in his name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. Michael Fuller was 53 years old living in Lexington, North Carolina, when things had hit rock bottom for him. Times were hard, he was jobless, didn't know how to make ends meet, and that's when he developed his plan. The plan that would solve his problems and set him on easy street for whatever years he had left. He began putting his plan into action, and the day came when it was time for the plan to be implemented. He picked the focus, the arena in which he would try to, to win his fortune. It was the local Walmart. So he walked into the Walmart there in, in Lexington, North Carolina. He gets the cart and he walks through the aisles and he, he picks up some items, a microwave, a vacuum cleaner, and a few other odds and ends, and he makes his way to the cashier and he pushes the cart up and she begins scanning the items. That'll be $476.39, please. It's the moment of truth now. Michael reached in his back pocket, pulled out his wallet, reached in and pulled out that brand new $1 million bill that he had made and handed it to her. She looked at the million dollar bill. I've never seen one and neither had she. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. There's no such thing. And she looked back at him and back down and then called for security. His plan didn't work, obviously. Seemed like a good idea. I mean, who wouldn't want to live on 900 and whatever, $100,000 in change you would get? Now, the reason I share that story is because it's humorous and tragic. Because somewhere along the line, things got so bad, this man reached a point of desperation where he was willing to bank everything on a lie. And it cost him dearly because now he's serving time for that. You and I, church, have an enemy 
who works on the same principle. He works on deceit, targeting our desire for security and safety and salvation to lead us away from God into slavery and even unto death. Now remember, church, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that Satan, who we were introduced to last week in chapter 12, he's not as much after us as he is after the glory of God. Our enemy wants to deface the glory of God. And since the church is the manifest presence and and display of the glory of God on earth and to the heavenlies, Satan strikes at the church to deface the glory of God. We are simply pawns in his game. But yet he persecutes. He goes after the church day after day, month after month, and year after year. So the issue is not, will Satan attack the church? The question is... How will he attack it? Now, chapter 13 begins to give us insight into Satan's strategy. Strategy that he has employed for millennia. Now, to understand this, start at the end of chapter 12. The very last phrase of verse 17. Now, the dragon, that is the he. He stood on the sand of the sea. Now, the image is of Satan standing on the edge of chaos. Throughout the, the book of Revelation, the idea of sea represents chaos. That which you can't control. That which is overwhelming. That which scares us. And Satan is standing on the edge of it. And what we read in chapter 13 is he stands on the edge of this, this chaos of life to call up two beasts. One from the sea and one from the land. These beasts are his minions. He works through these henchmen to accomplish his purposes. So we as believers need to understand these beasts so that we can answer the question, how are we to live? We are to be aware of them so we're not caught off guard and panic. So when we recognize these beasts who have been, who are, and who will be, we are prepared, standing firm in our faith. So who are these beasts? I understand these two beasts to be political, economic, and religious systems that have led people away from God, that are leading people away from God now, and will continue to do so until the day Jesus Christ returns. Now when I say systems, I'm thinking about ways of thinking, ways of understanding the world. You could call it a worldview, if you will. Every one of us, every person has a way of understanding the world. We have some means of answering the grand questions of life. How did we get here and what's our purpose? What has gone wrong with the world? And then the third question is, how can things be set right? That's the idea of a world view. And out of different world views of answering those three questions... Systems develop. Systems of of politics. Systems of economics. Systems of religion. And none of them, hear me clearly, none of them are value neutral. All worldviews and every system that comes out of a way of understanding the world has a value behind it. And what we see is that these systems have brought about the persecution of the church. They are bringing it about today and will continue to bring about the persecution of the church in the future. Now understand that often these beasts are interpreted as men. Specific men who will arrive on the scene in the future. 
often referred to as one of them specifically, the first beast, as the Antichrist. Well, understand the very phrase Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation. And we are told that Antichrist will arise. For example, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John says, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. John said, Antichrists are among us. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work. He echoes this in, in 2 John, verses 6 and 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, to say that these beasts are political, economic, religious systems that are against Christ is not necessarily contrary to saying that they are literal men. Because systems are identified with and often personified by leaders. Let's take, for example, the political and economic system of communism. That's a worldview. That's often personified either by Joseph Stalin or Karl Marx. One person representing that who becomes the embodiment of it. Fascism is personified by Hitler. You could argue false religion, religion has many personifications ranging from Joseph Smith to any prophet of the day who claims to speak for God but denies Jesus Christ. If you take the worldview of the system that says all that matters is pleasure, hedonism, just have fun, you only live once, that's personified by Hugh Hefner. But behind each of those men and behind any future leader that may arise is a system. And I want us to be aware of that. Because I'm afraid that, that often we're thinking, we're looking for the man, and we are ignorant to the fact that the system is already here in place that is leading people away from Jesus Christ. These beasts are deceptive. Specifically in how they try to imitate God. You see this in verses 1 through 4. This first beast rises from the sea. Now, as I said, the sea represents chaos, that which is uncontrollable. And in the midst of chaos, we long for security. We long for salvation. We want something or someone to save us from the problems we are facing. And that's what makes these systems so attractive. They promise security and salvation. But they do it by placing themselves in the sea. Of God. Look at the description of this first beast. He rises out of the chaos. Ten horns. The horns represent power and strength. Seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. The heads are the seven of them represent the idea of perfection, and the diadems are majesty and authority. This is an imitation of God. Not only does the beast imitate God, he strives to imitate Jesus. Look at verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. This beast seemed to be wounded mortally. In other words, it received some wound that looked like it would die, but it's still living. The wound appears to have been healed. Now this is mocking Jesus. Remember when we're introduced to Jesus in Revelation 5? He is the Lamb 
who was standing very much alive that had wounds that caused its death. Living, yet having suffered wounds. So the beast is trying to imitate Jesus. You also see this in the description of the second beast with the horns, mocking the idea of the lamb that had horns according to Revelation 5. In fact, this beast is the satanic counterpart of Jesus. The beast will always try to counterfeit Jesus by saying, here is the way of salvation. You see this theme consistently through Revelation. Up on the screen is a chart. And I know it may be hard to read and, and quick, but I wanted you to get, at least get a feel for Satan's strategy has always been to imitate and mock Jesus. How does the beast imitate Jesus in Revelation? Both are slain and rise to new life. Jesus in Revelation 5, 6, the beast in 13, 3. Both have followers that have names written on their foreheads. Jesus, we'll see next week in Revelation 14, 1, the beast from the sea. Revelation 13, 16. Both have horns that represent power. Jesus, Revelation 5, 6, the beast in Revelation 13, 1. And both receive worship and have authority over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Jesus in Revelation 5 and 7 and the beast in Revelation 13 and 17. Every step along the way, the beast tries to imitate Jesus by promising salvation to any who would buy in to his system. The description of the beast continues in verse 2. And verse 2 is one of the reasons where I see this as being more than just an individual human. This beast that rises has a combination of a leopard, a bear, and a lion. These descriptions are from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel describes different beasts that rise up, and each beast represents a successive kingdom, ranging from the Babylonian to the Medes to the Persians and ultimately to Rome. But this beast is different. It's a composite of all of them. It has to be more than just a man. It represents the kingdom and the materialism and the systems invoked in each of those empires. Now, I really believe those who first heard Revelation read would have understood that this is Rome. Because Rome was more than just a city, Rome was an ideal. It was a system of thought that presented an ethic, a way of living, and it's a way of living that was not honoring to God. Later in Revelation, we'll read of the, the destruction of Babylon or Rome. And Rome is described as being immoral, both sexually and materialistically, of being drunken. It represents more than just the city. It represents an ethic. Rome itself had become an object of faith. That's why I think this represents more than just one man. It represents a system because empires have risen and fallen that have held themselves up as salvation just as Rome did. And this beast will feed this type of thinking because its primary weapon is blasphemy. Verse 1, there are blasphemous names on its head. Verses 5 and 6, this beast was given a mouth to utter haughty and blasphemous words. And notice in verse 6 where its words are directed. The words are directed against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling. What's His dwelling? Those who dwell in heaven. Blasphemy is the denial of Jesus as the one true king, is the denial of the character of God. That's why He attacks the name of God and the people of God. Once again, 
the first readers would have recognized Rome in this. Recognize that Rome had an imperial cult. People were called to worship Rome and the emperor. Temples were built to worship Rome as well as the Caesars. Coins were minted that had the, the outline, the silhouette of the emperor on it called the divine image. Domitian, who reigned in Rome from A.D. 81 to 96 and very well was reigning when Revelation was written, persecuted Christians intensely. Domitian asked to be called our Lord and our God. And he wasn't the first. Nero, who reigned in the 60s, erected a statue of himself and encouraged emperor worship. And the blasphemy is that these emperors denied God and held themselves up as godlike saviors of the world. And Satan is working today so that you and I, without realizing it, would begin to think of our salvation in terms of political, economic, or social systems. Remember, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work here and now. And that spirit wants to lead us, this nation, and this world to look to anyone and anything other than Jesus Christ for salvation. Learn the lessons from history. No name is more associated with evil in the 20th century than Adolf Hitler. His crimes, his lies, his evil is well documented. But understand that he didn't just show up on the scene and start building gas chambers and amassing an army. It happened over time. In fact, it happened when Germany was at its lowest ebb in chaos. And they were looking for a savior. Someone to deliver. And here comes the Fuhrer. Promising salvation economically, socially, and psychologically. He promised salvation. We must be careful, church. Richard Terrell, in his book, Resurrecting the Third Reich, wrote this. Create a critical mass of people who cannot discern meaning and truth from nonsense. And you will have a society ready to fall for the first charismatic leader to come along. We must be on guard. For the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the beast is at work even now as he has been for millennia. And it's this promise of salvation that lures us toward a worldview. Think about it today. People are searching for salvation. If we learn to analyze the media around us, we will see that every message is a message saying, here's the solution to your problem. America is facing now, according to news reports, a growing addiction to heroin, opioids. In rural America even, this is not a quote-unquote urban problem. The question is why? I think it goes back to this. For the last 40 years, there's been a view called existentialism or nihilism that's been put before people, saying there's no transcendent meaning. There's no God. If you want meaning, you need to make it yourself. You determine your own meaning. And what happens when year after year you grow up believing that life is meaningless and you have to make your own meaning? You end up with a sense of hopelessness. And then comes the promise of salvation through pleasure. 
I can't create my own meaning. That worldview doesn't work. So now I'll turn to hedonism and pleasure to escape what this, this, this false promise. And it ends up leading us step by step further away from Christ. It is the promise of salvation through immorality. Finding love and pleasure will save your soul. And the beast is laughing while we march to our own destruction because sin kills. These things that the beast does are powered by the dragon, Satan. And he's trying to imitate God. And it doesn't just stop at Jesus and God. He tries to imitate the Holy Spirit and the church to corrupt worship. Look in verses 11 through 18. We're introduced to this next beast who rises up out of the earth and he, he has horns like a lamb and he speaks like a dragon. And the focus of this beast is to draw attention to the first beast. Now, by the way, I want you to see what's happening here. There's a dragon, there's a beast, and this second beast is also known as the false prophet from Revelation 16 and 19. Dragon, beast, and false prophet. Satan's trying to mirror God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything Satan does is a cheap imitation to lead us away from the one true God. Now this false prophet mimics the Holy Spirit in that it points people to worship the system. It points people toward the beast. Look at verse 12. This beast exercises authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. In other words, this false prophet is going to continually pump up the system, the worldview, and say, here is what you need. In fact, he goes so far in verse 13 to perform great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Now, this language should not be new to us. We were introduced to it in Revelation 11 where the two prophets who are the church appears and they act as Moses and Elijah doing great signs and calling down fire from heaven so that the world persecutes them. The beast, the false prophet, tries to imitate this. And once again, look around. This is the promotion of a false religion in the name of the system that promises false salvation. I encourage you, when you watch TV, look at the advertisements. Now you could look at the messages and boy they are many. But notice how many advertisements take on a religious nature. Promising meaning. Promising salvation. Here, here's the answer to your problems. Now this imitation continues as the prophet beckons people to follow the worldly system away from God. And in verse 16 we see that there's no middle ground. It, the false prophet, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Now this idea of marking is something the first readers would have been very familiar with. The marking referred to would have been like a tattoo and there were three general groups that would tattoo themselves for different reasons. One would be a group of slaves. They would be tattooed to show ownership. You would bear the mark of whomever owned you. Soldiers would receive the tattoo of Rome to show their allegiance, their loyalty to Rome. And many followers of different religions would tattoo themselves to show fidelity to their faith. It's this meaning that is picked up within this, this idea of being marked. 
Now, is this a literal mark that would be, be worn? I'm not sure. I tend to think it's not. Because God's mark that is spoken of in chapter 7 and chapter 14 is not visible. It's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You can see the evidences of it without seeing the mark. Now, does that mean it is not real in any way? No. The point is this. It is to show there is no neutrality. You will belong to either one system or you will belong to God. You are either a slave to God or a slave to Satan. You are either a soldier that is loyal to God or you are a plebe in Satan's army. You will either worship God or you will worship the dragon. This mark, this, this commitment to the world system is associated with the very personification of evil. Then we're introduced in verse 18 to this mark. No one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. And that is the name of the beast and the number of its name. Now the mark is the name. Now what he's going to do in verse 18 is to let his first readers know that if you associate with this system, this is who you're associating with. And he introduces us to probably the best known number in Scripture, 666. Did you know this number is so well known, even among non-believers, there's an actual fear of it? A phobia, a psychological phobia of 666. I'm not even going to try to say that. That's how ingrained it is. People who, if, if you get, like, accidentally get the number 666 when you're waiting in line, it's like, can I have another number, please? What is meant by this? A lot of ink has been spilt trying to guess who this number represents. Guesses have ranged all the way from Caligula to Hitler, from the Pope to Ronald Wilson Reagan as the Antichrist. Well, it's clear that John is using a method called gematria. Gematria is a code where a letter is given a number. So if you want to write in secret, you just assign each letter a number, you send that number, and the person who receives it will know to whom you are referring. I think that's what's happening here. I don't think the first readers had, had any question about who was being referred to. I think it was Nero. That's why it calls for wisdom. The reason I think that is this. The Hebraic spell, spelling of Nero Caesar, when transferred using gematria, is 666. And it can even be adjusted to account for 616. Many of you will see footnotes in your text that say some manuscripts have 616. Nero Caesar fits both of those. I also believe it refers to Nero because at the time Revelation was written, Nero was the very personification of evil that is aligned against God. Because of his wanton persecution of Christians and his gross sexual immorality, he represented everything that was the antithesis of God. And to align with Nero was to align yourself with the opposite of God. And he's saying here that if you make a commitment that you're going to follow the worldly systems that the beast is promoting, you're aligning yourself with Nero. You're aligning yourself with evil. There's also another interesting tidbit to think of with the number 666. There's a pattern in Revelation where the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet, and the sixth bowl are all acts of judgment. And I think it's a way of saying if you align yourself with the system that is against God, you will face judgment. The second beast is the counterfeit church where religion is co-opted to serve the worldly system 
that will lead people away from God. This is happening today. Religion is being co-opted and used to approve of changes in our society, changes that are contrary to God and to the Scripture. And churches who take a stand and say, that is wrong, are viewed as being the root of the problem today. Christopher Hitchens wrote, and he's an atheist who has passed away, wrote, religion poisons everything. And there are many in our culture that share that same view. That religion, true conservative Christianity, is in the path, in the way of societal progress. David Gushy is a former ethics professor at Union University. While he taught there, he held to traditional biblical views on sex and marriage, and he has since renounced those views and left Union. He now teaches at Mercer University, and he has become an outspoken uh, spokesperson for LGBT rights. In fact, in 2015, he was quoted by the New York Times columnist Frank Baruni as saying, Conservative Christian religion is the last bulwark against full acceptance of LGBT people. Two or three weeks ago, Gushy wrote in a column. Listen carefully to his words because I think they are, are prescient. It turns out that you are either for full and unequiv unequivocal social and legal equality for LGBT people or you are against it. And your answer will at some point be revealed. This is true both for individuals and for institutions. Neutrality is not an option. Neither is polite half acceptance, nor is avoiding the subject. Hide as you might, the issue will come and find you. This point is clear. Churches that do not get on board and promote the changes within our society will face consequences and their doors at some point be shut. Understand that this is happening now. Look at the warning given about receiving the mark, or I should say, not receiving it. Verse 17, you don't receive the mark. In other words, you don't acquiesce to the system. You won't be able to buy or sell. Realize we have brothers and sisters of the faith that are in the business world that are facing litigation because they have taken a stand for scriptural truth and they are in danger of losing their livelihood? Isn't that what this says here? Look around. What are we to do? We have to recognize the truth and the ideas behind the systems in our world. The application of this is very clear. Look in verse 10. Here's the call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Endure. Endure. Recognize what's going on and make up your mind now to endure. One of the questions that just quite frankly time fails me in dealing with is, you say, well, what, what about this idol? What about this, this image that is built? You know, what, you know what Revelation's heartening back to with this image that is built that leads people away? It's going back to a story in the book of Daniel. Daniel 3 to three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who lived at a time very similar to this, where society was against them, and Nebuchadnezzar had built an idol and said, whenever you hear the music, you must bow down and worship it. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? No, we will not. 
If you don't do it, you're going to die. Our God is able to deliver us. And even if He does not deliver us, we will not bow down. That's echoed throughout this passage to the church of saying, don't lose heart. Know what you believe and to know God will see you through. You want confidence that God will see you through? Not that we may not suffer, but that our faith is secure. Look at how far back our security goes. Look at what he says in verse 8. Everyone will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The flip side of that is people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world will recognize what's going on and will stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Your salvation secure in God no matter what the world says. Neither height nor depth nor angel nor principality nor demon can remove you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to recognize what's going on. The issue is one of life and death. deals with the spiritual state and if we don't recognize it we're in danger needless to say we're coming up on September the 11th which was a one of those pivotal points in American history there was a gentleman that died that day not in America he was in Manamar or Burma as it used to be known he died tragically he was a herpetologist what that means is he's one of these guys that was fascinated with snakes. There was his first mistake. He was looking for what's called the common branded crate, C-R-A-I-T. It's in the cobra family. It's about three feet long and it's longest, but one of the most deadly snakes in the world. Looking for the branded crate is hard. It's a nocturnal snake. There's also a snake that mimics it. Looks just like it. That's the way that imitator survives. People think it's the branded crate, predators do, and they stay away from it. Joe Slowinski was his name, Dr. Joe Slowinski. He was presented a bag where someone had caught what they thought was an imitator. He opened it, looked at it, and going on faith from what the person had said, it reached his hand in there to grab it and was bitten. Twelve hours later, he died. He died because someone could not discern the truth from a lie. What happened to him is being played out around us on a spiritual level. And Revelation 13 is a warning to believers to endure and recognize the powers that are behind the systems of our world and follow Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. Now, I, I realize this is not a feel-good message but I believe it's the truth and it's going to come down to the point where there is no neutrality you are either with Christ or you're not and so I ask you today to make that decision make that decision I'm going to ask Nathan and Michael to join me here at the front. The three of us are up here. If you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if this morning you are recognizing the ugly nature of these beasts and the dragon, and you're thinking, I don't want any part of that, but how can I be saved? I want to invite you, when we begin to sing, to please come. Take me or Nathan or Michael by the hand, and we'll walk with you to one of our Sunday school rooms to answer questions and explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's no halfway. There's no sort of 
Christian. That's the point of the mark. You're either God's or you're not. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? Father, search our hearts this morning. And Lord, bring us to the truth. Lord, I pray that this message today will have fortified our faith to follow you even when such faith is costly. Grant us endurance. And Father, rather than shrinking back, let us proclaim clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors. Father, and forgive us if we look to a system for salvation. Let it be clear we look to Jesus Christ, Him crucified and resurrected as the only hope of being saved from your judgment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.